Hello, thank you for joining us on Cornerstone College Ministries Podcast. I am Blake Brown. I am the college pastor at Stillwater Bible Church. You're joining us for our study of Nehemiah. We're going to take a look at Nehemiah and trusting God and being diligent to serve Him regardless of the circumstances. I hope you enjoy as we dig in. Nehemiah. He came to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The city and the nation were attacked and the city was conquered. The nation was conquered. Jerusalem was conquered. Or Israel was. Because why? They were not following God's commands. Yes. They had an agreement, a covenant with God to say that we would follow all these commands. And um, they said, okay, or God said, if you follow these, I will bless you. If you don't, I will curse you. They didn't follow them. They're like, yeah, we'll follow them. And they don't. So therefore, this is what happens. When Nehemiah gets back to build the wall, he faced a lot of opposition um, from other people. But every step of the way, he trusted God and was diligent to serve him. They complete the wall in 52 days. And their enemies realized God's the one who helped them complete it. Right? They couldn't do it on their own because of how fast it happened and how well it was done. Um, lastly, we look at chapter 7. It was interesting, partly because it was 73 verses. Um, another part, because Nehemiah said he wanted to take a census of the people, but then he like found a census from Ezra. Um, and it was actually the same list that we see, the same account we see in Ezra chapter 2. Um, and those people who returned to Jerusalem right after captivity, people who returned to Jerusalem right then. Today we get back to Nehemiah's time. So we're back to the future in the past. Um, and it's the reading of the law. So Nehemiah chapter 8, we're actually going to see a biblical cameo. So that's cool. Um, Ezra comes to read the law to the people. And then people start weeping. And we ask, what's going on, right? Why, why are they so sad about the reading of the law? Um, so in Nehemiah chapter 8, here's the outline for today. Um, so in verses 1 through 8, Ezra reads the law. And 9 through 12, Nehemiah encourages the people. And 13 through 18, the Feast of the Booths, Feast of Booths is observed. So we're going to see what all of that is talking about and what it is. Um, so I'm turn my Bible to Nehemiah now. And I'm going to read before we get started. Maybe. Um, Nehemiah chapter 8. <clears throat> Verse 1. All the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read it from it from the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which had been made for the purpose. And beside him stood uh, Mattathiah, um, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, all on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Makajah, uh, I don't know, Hashem, Hashabadana. I'm not going to lie, that sounds like when you have hot food in your mouth. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry, good. Um, Zechariah and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. When he opened it, the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. <coughs> so Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, uh, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, um, uh, Kalita, Kalita, 
Um, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Eliot, the Levites, explained the law to the people, and the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they could understand the reading. So we're going to stop there for this morning. Uh, well, at least for right now. And I'll pray. <coughs> we'll get started. So, let's pray. <clears throat> God, we thank you so much for Nehemiah and all the amazing things we've seen through this book and through um, this account of history uh, and when you brought your people back from captivity. I pray uh, that as we go through Nehemiah 8 today, that you would, uh, our hearts would be open, our minds would be open to learn more about you, about your word, and about what we should apply in our lives from it, uh, and that I, it wouldn't be a, me just up here talking, but that you'd be speaking through me. For all this in your son's name, amen. Okay. Anyone ever... Um, Remember a time they've been sitting in a classroom before, and a teacher was talking about something, and you were so confused. Right? You had no idea what's happening <laughs> at all. And, um, or maybe there's a topic you're trying to learn, so you're studying for this topic, and you just sat there just confused, right, staring into the, to the blank nothingness because you just have no idea what's going on. Right? Well, if you don't know this, I got my degree in mechanical engineering, and there were a lot of times <laughs> where that applied to me. And a uh, number of classes, I felt like I could never catch up. I was always behind, never actually understanding what was going on, always frustrated about that. And um, it was easy to get discouraged because of that. And then in one moment of internal lament, I realized that the stuff I didn't know at all how to do last week, and I was just so upset about this week, I could do that stuff. It was just this week's stuff that I was like super upset about and all these things. I was like, oh, okay, wait. I actually am getting some of this. I am learning it was just slower than I was being taught. I was being taught something, I didn't understand it, but then like a week later my brain caught up and stuff. Uh, it was an encouragement to me. Now, there are some things I never understood. Right? Don't get me started on thermodynamics. Um, sorry if any of y'all are in that, but ugh. Um, today we're going to see the Israelites um, are read the law. Right? The law is read to them, and they don't understand all that's being said. Um, and then they realize they haven't been following it. Haven't followed the law. What's their reaction? How does Nehemiah handle this? Let's look. Look at Nehemiah 8, verse 1. All the people gathered as one man at the square, which is in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. So in front of one of these gates, right, the water gate, they asked Ezra to come and to read the law that God gave to Israel. Now, what is this law, the Mosaic law? How is it important to, to Nehemiah as a book? Yeah, they're still under this law. They're supposed to be following this law. Um, why was Jerusalem destroyed again? They didn't follow this law, right? And God said, if you don't follow it, well, then this is going to happen. And then guess what? They didn't follow it, and it happened. Um, and then we have Ezra, like just name dropped in the middle of this book. Um, so we've heard Ezra mentioned a lot of times, but who is this guy? Well, here's what Ezra 7, 6 says. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord of God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested, because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. So basically, he knew this law of Moses really, really well. If you remember, the Mosaic law was given to the Israelites, and it outlined how they should act, what they should do, how they should live their lives. God said if they followed it, he'd bless them. If they didn't, he would curse them. They agreed to the terms, terms and conditions, right? 
They're probably like how we agreed to our phones, updates, terms, and conditions. We're like, uh, yeah, sure, right? Um, not realizing the full extent of what happened. Um, but they agreed, and they said, all of the Lord commands we will do. And then they didn't do it. They broke the law. Um, so God sent prophets to turn them back to his law. And sometimes they would for a little bit. But overall, they never stayed committed to God's law. Hence, destruction of Jerusalem. Ezra knew the law really well. And he came in after they started returning to Jerusalem. So the first time people were taken off to Babylon, they started returning. And that's when um, Zerubbabel was a guy. And then Ezra was a guy who came back and was there for that. And this is a little bit later in Nehemiah, whenever he comes back um, after that. If you have the little cards from the back of Nehemiah, you can kind of see some of that um, outlined there. But here is Ezra's mission in his life and in his ministry. Ezra 7.10. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it, to teach his statutes and ordinances in all, or in Israel. So those were the three things that he did. He wanted to study, to know the law of the Lord. He wanted to practice it or to apply it and to teach his, who's the his? The Lord's, right? Teach not its statutes, but God's statutes and ordinances in Israel. That's what his mission was, to know God's word, apply it in his personal life, and to teach others. What an example to follow. Right. To know what the Bible says, to live it out in our personal lives, and then tell others about it, and teach others how to follow it. Uh, so let's do that, right? Maybe it's a good uh, kind of three-step process to follow. Three easy steps to a great life. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but three easy steps there. Um, the Israelites asked Ezra to come with the law. So look at verse 2. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, all could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, and from early morning until midday in the presence of men, women, um, those who could understand. All the people were attentive to the book of the law. As the scribe stood on a wooden podium, which they made for this purpose. And beside him stood, I'm not reading those names again. Um, <laughs> so everyone who could hear and understand were there, right? gathered to listen to him read. Ezra read from the law early morning until midday. That's, that's kind of a long time, just reading the law the entire time. That's like coming to the 8.30 service, which I know like no college students do because that's early. Um, but then staying all the way until the 11 o'clock is over. Right? Solid time right there. Um, but it's not like it is here if you said the whole time with like little breaks, right? Little coffee breaks. You go and get stuff or you go and have things. No, he's just like reading the law this whole time. And um, reading Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Right? <laughs> Some uh, kind of, that's what they had back then. Um, everyone was attentive to the Bible, though. They wanted to hear. Even though it was um, just reading, they were attentive to hear. You can picture him up there at the wooden podium, right? There are six people on his right side and seven people on his left, and he's up there reading, and this council of people are around him. So, look at verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, Everyone stood up. All the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So everyone has a reverence and a respect for the, for the Lord and for the word of God. Ezra blessed the Lord. Everyone agreed, right? Amen means truly, truly. And they put their um, hands up and they bowed down to worship God. This is all the people who could understand in Jerusalem. All the people who returned are here doing this. They praise God who enabled them to return to their land, to rebuild their city, and who protected them from attacks. So they're praising. 
think about this. Like you've been working so hard on this wall and you finally finished it. It's finally done. And this is kind of like the beginning of a big party. Like, okay, we've finished the wall. Let's celebrate. Let's read God's law. Let's worship God for what he's done. Um, and then there's this well-known pillar of the faith who's come to read the law to you. Like Ezra was pretty well-known in Jerusalem and by the Jewish people. And they're doing all of this inside the city that they completed in 52 days. In like less than two months, right? So you can kind of imagine like the, 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 what you would see, what you would experience as you're there and this is happening. So look at verse um, 7. Also, Jeshua, Bani, um, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, uh, Sabbathai, Hodiah, Masaiah, Kaleida, um, Azariah, Jezebel, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites, or the Levites, explained the law to the people who were there and people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating it to give sense so that they could understand the reading. Here's what's happening. Ezra's up front, right, up high, he said, at the podium, and he's reading the law. And likely they would stop after each section that he read. And these helpers, the Levites, would go out and move from group to group, probably, explaining what was being said. And explaining, hey, here's, what's, here's what he just read. Here's what this means for us. Here's how we should, uh, how we should apply it. Um, some of them have been trained in the law and understood it. Right? So these, these Levites knew the law. They understood it. And so they're helping those who wanted to learn about it. Um, it says translate. Does anybody have a different word in, that la- in verse 8 than translating to give sense in their Bible? Gave the sense. Just gave the sense. No mm-hmm. translating in there at all. What? Clearly. Clearly giving sense, basically. Um, so it says translated where have a lot of these Jews been for the last 70 to 100 years Babylon right they've been in captivity not in Jerusalem not maybe with Hebrew speaking people around them Um, and so the, the, the language they had there was Aramaic in Babylon so it's likely that they were translating it to Aramaic from Hebrew that Ezra was reading it in at this time um also um this word translating, it could also mean just to kind of make clear and give sense. So it could just be kind of clarifying what's being said. But I think it makes sense that they've been in Babylon for no last hundred years, the whole their whole life basically. They probably know Aramaic better than they do Hebrew. For them to understand what's being said, they translate it into a language they knew. But this also says that they're making it easier to understand. Right? These people who knew the law really well are making it easier to understand. Um Going group to group, making sure not only that they heard God's word, but that they could understand its meaning. This is expository teaching, right? Verse by verse, going through the law, and then explaining what that means to the people who were there. So they have a, 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 a way that they can know how to live it out. Uh, if you'll notice, though, it takes those who know what it means to explain the message to those people who are eager to know what it means. So people who know what it means, explain it to people who are eager to know what it means. Some of us know a lot of the Bible, a lot about the Bible in here in this room. I know that. And we know what the confusing parts mean, some of the confusing parts. Uh, we know the general flow of the Bible. As an example, you who know it, say all together, what is the story of the Bible? Perfect God. I said together, and y'all were like way everywhere, yeah. Right? Some other people knew just the flow of the Bible. Perfect God bringing sinful man back to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Right? Understanding that as the general flow of the Bible and understanding, like, okay, this is like the entire story, well, that alone kind of puts things into perspective for the word. So a lot of people in here I know know the Bible, know the general flow of it, know some of these confusing passages that other people might be 
eager to learn about. So what are we doing to help those eager people learn about the Bible and learn about God? Gals, right? If you see another woman in our church or ministry who's eager to learn but doesn't have the foundation you've been blessed with, then go and see if you can help them with what you know about the Bible. It may be a weekly meeting or just talking about the Bible or maybe just a few times answering questions they have. Guys, you see a dude that's out there serving, wants to know more about God's word, and um, ask if they like to chat sometime. Use the knowledge and experiences that you've been blessed with to help guide them in their spiritual growth. Or if you're an eager person, find someone who's faithful, who seems to, to know about the Bible, more spiritually mature, and ask them, hey, can we meet up? I want to know about the Bible. We see a perfect example here in Nehemiah. People who know the word, explain to people who want to know the word. That's, that's the kind of mission that we have here um, in our Christian life. That's our goal as a ministry, right? We want to have mature believers helping believers to mature, ultimately. It means we should study our Bibles for ourselves, right? We should know the Bible so we can tell others um, who will probably have the same questions we do. A lot of times, if you have a question of the Bible, you're not the first person who's ever asked that question. I know, it's shocking, but it's true. You're never going to reach a peak moment of perfection where you can answer every question that ever comes up but I know for many of you in here, you know enough to start training someone younger in the faith. If you have a clear view of what the gospel is, and you know where to look in the Bible for the gospel, you know enough to help a young, unsure believer. Right? A person who's eager to learn. Let's be mature believers who are helping believers mature. The rest of the passage this morning, uh, we're going to help us see how a mature believer should react to things. Right? What our responses should be. So look at Nehemiah 8.9. 8 verse 9. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. All the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. So Nehemiah, Ezra, the Levite teachers, all encouraged the people, saying, Hey, this day is holy to Yahweh, to the Lord. Don't mourn or weep. The people heard God's law, heard it explained to them, and they start crying. Um, Why do you think that is? They realize how bad they are, right? They're like, we have not been doing any of the stuff that they've been explaining to us this entire morning. They had not been following God's word, ultimately. They realized their sin and how far they had fallen from what God had commanded them to do. The reaction of these eager followers of God was to be in dismay at their sin. I've seen this reaction from new believers before. They're excited, they're ready to go, and they realize that, oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough, right? I'm not adequate enough. I don't know enough Bible. I'm not doing well enough in my Bible reading, that kind of stuff. And then it can kind of get discouraged and then just give up and sit in their sorrow. I mean, I've been there before, right? I look at my sin and how it doesn't line up with God's word and have had this reaction of like, I just, it's just not going to happen. Right? But the leader said this is a joyous day. They said, don't sit and dwell on your sin. Instead, celebrate and have the joy of the Lord. Look what it says in verse 10. He said to them, go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Levites calmed um, all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, and to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Nehemiah tells them, go and enjoy this day. Feast and give to those who don't have anything, don't have anything prepared, um, so they can feast as well. God sees this day as holy. 
He says, don't be grieved because you have done no wrong. No. Don't be grieved because you are loved. No. It says, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They've done wrong. Yeah, they were loved. So don't be grieved because God's joy can give you strength. God is joyous that the Jews are turning back to him. The entire, think about what happened earlier in this passage. The entirety of the people who returned were praising God and worshiping him as, as they were hearing his word. They were learning. They were eager to learn about it. They're faithful to learn about his word, and now they understand and are grieved with their sin. Why did God allow the destruction of Jerusalem? They turned away. But at the core of it, what was his purpose behind doing that? To bring them back to him. And they're back, right? They're back and they're worshiping and they're eager to learn. And so God's like, yes, right? This is great. They're finally back to where they're, they're learning about my word. They're following what I've, what I've commanded them to do. And because I'm faithful, I'm not going to destroy them. Because right now they're, they're in the good. Um. That discipline led them back to him. And they're instructed not to dwell in their past sins, but to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is their strength. It showcases God's grace to them. They've been forgiven of this. They've been brought back. They're already brought back. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says about this. It is as wrong to mourn when God has forgiven us as it is to rejoice when sin has conquered us. It's as wrong to mourn when God has forgiven us as it is to rejoice when sin has conquered us. So whenever... Like, and they're back in the land, right? They are disciplined, or they were disciplined, and now they're back in the good graces of God, so rejoice. They've been forgiven of all these sins, so rejoice. This joy is going to strengthen them to serve him more. I think part of the, the weeping was probably, we haven't been doing this, and there's so much we have to do. How can we serve him this much? But like, no, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Having joy in what God has done for you encourages us to live our lives for him. Same thing for us, right? We realize our sin. Christ died for our sin. This should not cause us to mourn, but to praise him for what he's done. If we place our faith in Christ for eternal life, we have eternal life, and we've been forgiven of all of our sins, and that's a cause for joy, not for mourning. So joy is what gives us, joy in the Lord is what gives us strength to serve him. So, we realize we sinned, right? What do we do? We confess it to God. We forsake it. Don't do it anymore. Don't just keep on sinning. And then praise him, right? Serve him with joy in your heart, not with shame weighing down your soul. He says, don't just sit in your sorrow, right? You've sinned, yes, but look, you're back and you're eager to serve. So go, right? Go serve in the joy of the Lord. Go, go worship him and praise him. Don't sit in your sorrow from sinning. Pick yourselves up, move on, and sit in the joy of the Lord. That sin has already been paid for, so don't try to make yourself pay for it. Something we can really kind of do, right? Try to make ourselves pay for this. I need to feel bad enough because I sinned. I need to make myself pay because I've sinned. Well, vengeance is the Lord's, he says. He says, he will repay. Don't take vengeance on yourself. Instead, confess it, forsake it, and move on. So the returned Jews next find a celebration they're supposed to keep. So look at verse 13. Then on the second day, the second day of the seventh month, um, the heads of the father's households of all the people the priests and the Levites were gathered at Ezra the scribe, they might gain insight into the words of the law. Verse 14. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. These booths are like tents, basically, right? 
So day two, all the leaders gathered together. They learned, want to learn more. They found out about this Feast of Booths that God had commanded the Israelites to do in the seventh month. What is this Feast of Booths, right? Well, it's found in Leviticus 23. Um, it says, this is back, you know, speaking to Moses. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the 15th of this seventh month is the Feast of Booths for seven days to the Lord. Okay, so they have seven days to use the booths. When, when they do it, it's the 15th day of the seventh month. What month are they in right now in Nehemiah? Seventh month. Oh, seventh month. Okay. Look what it's supposed to do. On the exact 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days, with a rest on the first day and a rest or a Sabbath on the eighth day. Now, on the first day, you shall take it for yourselves all the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And so this is to do is to sit there, get all these, um, these basically leaves and leafy things and make these tents and rejoice in the Lord in these tents for seven days. And it says, you shall thus celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. It shall continue this throughout all your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths or in tents for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I, the Lord, had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the sons of Israel the appointed times of the Lord. So the 15th day of the seventh month, so to get the stuff to basically make what are tents and live in them for seven days. The first day... And the day after are Sabbath, or rest days, with no labor. Um, this is to remind them of the time when the Israelites came out of Egypt. Right? They were in Egypt in captivity, and who led them out? God. God, Moses, both correct, right? Um, God through Moses led them out. And how long were they in the wilderness? 40 years. 40 years, right? A long time. And they were just kind of like there, right? They kind of moved whenever God would want to move, and move, not and stay, and they would stay. But they were in these booths. Basically, they're living in these kind of tents for that amount of time. And so this is a reminder how God had led them out of Egypt and had them live in booths. And then we're in Nehemiah, and it is the seventh month. Imagine that. You're excited about learning God's word. You got there the day before, and you haven't been keeping God's law. You heard it being read, and you realize, I haven't been keeping it. And you start to get sorrowful. And they're like, no, 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 be excited, right? Have the joy of the Lord. Um, this is a hopeful day. This is holy before the Lord. And then the next day, you feasted, you've celebrated, you come back to learn more about it. All the leaders come back to learn more. And they're reading, and they learn more about God's law. And you read that there's a feast that God commanded to happen in the very month that you're in. And you're like, hey, this is something we can do. Right? We can do this right now to follow God's law right now. So let's go, let's get ready. So making all the booths we're going to live in for a whole week. Everyone go find branches, go get sticks, supplies, make your family's tent. And that's what they do. Look at verse 15. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses, the sons of Israel, to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So people went out, they brought them to make booths for themselves, each on his roof and their courts, and the courts of the house of God, at the square of the water gate, square of the gate of Ephraim. And the entire assembly of those who returned from captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, to that day. And there was great rejoicing. 
So they all go out. They get materials. Um, they're making these booths everywhere. Roofs, the courtyards, gates, everywhere. And all the returned captives, everyone who's returned from captivity, are living in these booths for a week. An entire city and only nation that's returned are all united in their following of God's law. And they're excited, right? They're rejoicing about it. Here's the deal. They were like, we can do this, right? We can do this thing. This is part of God's law. We haven't been following it, but now we see this part that we can actually do it. And there are things that we can do, things God has outlined for us that um, the church can do that we're capable of doing, right? Are we as excited about the Jews when we read about those things? I'm not a lot of times. I'm kind of apathetic. Sharing the gospel. This is something we can do, right? Considering others more important than ourselves, something we can do. Serving people with the love of Christ, that's something we can do. Passing on what we know about the Bible to other people, that is something that we can do. So even though the Israelites had screwed up big time, right? Pretty big. They didn't give up, but they got excited in the light of the commands of God. They were stoked to go out and honor God by following his word. So where's our excitement? Where's our drive? Is it going to take a destruction in our life like it took the destruction of Jerusalem for us to get excited about God again? To give us a desire to follow his word? It's really a joyous thing that we can be a blessing to God. That we can, um, Romans 12 says that we can present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So let's live our lives as a living sacrifice to him. Do what we do for God. Be excited about serving Him. It's exciting that we can follow the commands of our Creator and our Savior. And notice, it's been since the days of Joshua that they observed this. When was Joshua in the timeline? In reference to, say, Moses. Right after after Moses. (laughs) Right after Moses. Um, It's been that long since they had observed it in the right way. They'd actually observed the feast on its own, just eating a few times. But, uh, between Joshua and Nehemiah, but they had never fully observed it by living in the booths that they were supposed to do. And so that of following the actual letter of what the law says shows you how excited they are about this. Right? They're like, we're going to do it the right way for the first time in, guess how long? A thousand years. Yeah. Close to a thousand years when they had not actually done this in the right way. It's never too late to start following God's word. Sometimes we can think that, like, oh, it's just been so long, whatever. It's, not, it's just too late now. But it's never too late to start following God's word. They're excited about it. They see that we can actually follow this command, so let's do it. Let's all go and do it unified in a unified way, even though it's been so long since they've done it. Look at verse 18. He read from the book of the law of God daily, Israel did, from the first day to the last day. And they celebrated the feast seven days. On the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. So like they're, followed, like they're supposed to do it. And Ezra read from the law every day for seven days. It's crazy what happens when the Jews, heard, or the returned Jews, heard God's word read. One theologian kind of organized it like this. Verse 1 through 8, they had an intellectual response, right? They were like, okay, I understand this. Um, I see what the law is saying. Um, they're explaining it to other people. The second, uh, section 9 through 12, is the emotional response. They start to get sorrowful because of it. They realize how much they've just like, not done it. And then they say also emotional is the um, uh, emotion of joy. 
joy in doing it. And there's the volitional response, which if you're like me, you're like volitional. Um, but it's like by your own volition, you do something. Right? You've probably heard that term before. So it's like they're actually doing it on their own. They're responding to the word. They see the word, what it says, and they go out on their own volition and do it. So how do we respond to the word? Are we excited about God's commands for us, um, eager to follow them, or have we become apathetic in our reading of the Bible? I know many of us in here have grown up in church, maybe, and have just heard these things, these stories a lot, um, kind of growing up. And it can be easy to become apathetic. It's easy for me to become apathetic when I'm reading the Bible. Let's take this example of the Jewish nation in Nehemiah. They read the word, they, they're eager to understand it, they have people who know the Bible, explain people who are eager to know the Bible, and then they have a, a response to what, they, what they've done, realize they've sinned, but then they realize they're forgiven of their sins, so they rejoice in the Lord. And then with that joy, they go and they serve where God has commanded them to serve. And they worship Him the way they're supposed to worship Him. Let's take this example, right? So here's some application. One, let's study God's word so we can help others know it better. Uh, we want to be mature believers, helping believers to mature. Um, just like Ezra said that he wanted to um, know, apply, and teach it. That was his mission. Let's do that as well. Um, second, when we realize that we have sinned, don't sit in our sorrow. It can be easy to think that we have to punish ourselves for our sins. But who took the punishment for our sins? Jesus did. Right? Don't try to punish yourself. When we do sin, confess it to God. You know that in First uh, John, the beginning says, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, so confess our sins, um, forsake it, don't continue to do it, and then move forward in the joy of the Lord. Third, let's be excited about God's word. It's exciting. If, I don't know about you, but when I was reading Nehemiah 8 and studying it, and I was trying to picture myself being there, it was exciting. I was just like, okay, we've, we've failed big time, right? Really big time. We failed. We're realizing that. And they're like, no, 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 just, just, just go and, and rejoice. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll go rejoice. You come back and you realize, here's something we can do. We cannot fail in this area. And they're so excited about it. So let's know what God's word says. Let's apply it in our own personal lives. And let's teach it. Let's tell others about it. And like Romans 12, 1 says, let's offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God. Do whatever we do for God's glory. Okay, um, we have about 15 minutes for uh, discussion questions. Before we get into that, are there any questions anyone has about Nehemiah 8? Yeah? How did the term the Feast of Booths come about? So the feast and a booth is like a tent. So there'd be feasting and then there'd be tents. So feast of tents. I was just confused on why like, I didn't know. Yeah, it's kind of, we don't think of it as booths. We think of like you go to Brahms and sit in a booth, right? So... <laughs> Other questions? Okay, so we'll split off into groups of five or six, um, maybe seven um, people, and go over these kind of questions. So Ezra has had his heart to know, apply, and teach God's word. So what is our view or your view of God's word, and how do you want to change that? Um, I'll pray, and then we'll break off. So... Dear God, uh, we thank you so much for how amazing your word is, for how powerful it is, for how um, it's able to, uh, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it's able to pierce between the um, joints of bone and marrow and, and judge the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts.
and I pray that